Welcome to Bosses with Baggage. I'm Sherry Sutton, your host and business growth guide. Around here, we believe that failures are our superpowers. So in this podcast, we'll explore the many ways that setbacks can mold, shape, and change your life and your business and ensure that you come out of the fire better than before. Through interviews with business leaders and discussions of my own personal struggles, we'll unlock the secrets to turning setbacks and low moments into opportunities to thrive. From approaching your business with a servant's heart to getting comfortable with being the face of your brand, each episode will be a safe, judgment-free zone to reframe the concept of failure with honesty, empathy, grace, and a whole lot of laughter. So are you ready? Let's go. Namaste, my friends. My name is Sherry Sutton. I am your marketing mentor, and welcome to Bosses with Baggage. This is the only place where you are going to hear business leaders talk about all of their garbage, all of their baggage, all of the stuff that has happened in their lives that seems horrible and we shouldn't be talking about it, but that we all know is secretly our superpowers. But before we start, I need to share with you guys a little business hack. So you see how you can see the glare of my glasses? Those are the windows across from me. I, in all of my podcasts and in all of my videos, I have another pair of glasses that have no lenses, which means I can't see my amazing guest, Helen, but it's okay because we talked before this. Hi, Helen. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on, Sherry. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to have you today. I'm really, really pleased to be here. I'm just, I'm kind of speechless about that hack that you've got um, lensless glasses just for being on screen. That's, that's such a good idea. <laughs> I love it. Well, and all of my glasses are Amazon cheapies, right? Like people are like, oh my God, I love your glasses. And it's funny because I just wear them because I like can, can't see the computer very well. Uh, and it became part of my brand. I remember early on my, my brand photographer was like, wear your glasses. I'm like, well, I don't need them. I'm not on the computer. And she was like, but they're part of your brand. You wear your red glasses all the time. You have to have them. So the, but then like, I, so I ended up buying just another pair and, you know, cracking the glasses. Up. So there you go. There's your, there's your marketing hack for the day. Yeah. <laughs> but let's talk about you. So where are you joining me from? I detect a bit of an accent. Yes, I am not in Texas. You can all tell that, can't you? I'm joining you from Manchester in England. So quite a way away from you, Sherry. Excellent. We're so glad to have you. So Manchester, England. Did you grow up there? No, I grew up in the south of England, so about an hour north of London. Um, but the whole of England is like smaller than one of your states. So these distances mean nothing really when, when you're in a country as big as yours. Um, but my, my boyfriend lives in the States. He's in Buffalo up in New York State. So a fair distance from you as well, but also a fair distance from me. Well, that is a whole other podcast. Whole I'm other sure. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you. First off, just kind of start with like what you do today. And then we're going to go back and we're going to talk about what it was like and what happened and what it, it's like now. But give us the little grounder on sort of who you are and where you are in your life, what you do. Okay. 
So I am the no bullshit coach. I'm a life coach, mainly to female business owners, um, but also to uh, men, to employed people. I am all about getting more joy and passion and adventure out of life, squeezing every last drop of joy out of life. That is that is what I'm I'm here to help people do. So I also have a business support agency. I've got a group of virtual assistants and social media managers who also support business owners. So if we kind of wrap people up and try and help them with all of the things they need in their businesses um, and in their life. Uh, But yes, that was not always the case. Um, I've been doing that for, I've had the business for nearly five years now. And I qualified as a coach at the beginning of 2020, just before the pandemic hit. Um, So, yeah, it's been I absolutely love it. I have enjoyed every minute, but it's not something if you told me 10 years ago I'd be doing this, I don't think I would have believed you. I find that with a lot of coaches, including myself, right? We've, we've generally gone through this dark night of the soul, right? And then we find our passion at the end of it. And we find often that we want to help other people who are in the same boat that we were in, right? I mean, I know that's true for me. I know that's true for you. And that's the whole reason why this podcast was created. So tell us what happened. Tell us about your dark night of the soul. What brought you to where you are? Okay, so where to begin? I guess I guess I need to begin in my mid-20s when I am getting married and I'm marrying a good guy, lovely guy. Um, looking back, we probably, in fact, we certainly should have been really good friends. We would have been really good friends for the whole of our lives, uh, but we thought we had a good romantic relationship and we should get married and I think a lot of women would recognize this this tale um and we had two beautiful children together gorgeous boys and then um in 2017 I started to have an affair now a really important part of this story is that this not that I necessarily would have hidden it if it was but this was not a kind of you know, don't tell anyone secret, secret affair. Um, It's not my place to tell my ex-husband's story, but suffice to say, this was an affair that he knew about. Um, And it was something that was always going to end in a big ball of fire, let's say, because it was never going to end well. (laughs) But at the time, it seemed so great you're like, I'm okay with it because right now it feels so good. Absolutely. And you know what, Sherry, I will, it was one of the best things that I ever did and I will never regret it for a second. But because, oh, again, I'm sure a lot of people recognize this because of how amazing it was, the aftermath was equally intense, shall we say. Um, and just to go back a little further before all of this our youngest boy who was born in 2013 was born with a congenital heart defect so he has had three open heart surgeries he's nearly 10 now so he's doing really well but when he was little he had open heart surgery which of course was its own enormous parenting challenge and 
These two things came together in April 2018. My gorgeous, amazing, fiery, passionate relationship, which completely opened my eyes to what I wanted from life, came to an end at the same time that my little boy was in hospital recovering from his third open heart surgery. Because this is how life works, isn't it? Everything has to happen all at the same time. And I was so utterly overwhelmed with grief, really. I mean, that's what heartbreak is, isn't it? It's grief. That I couldn't, I couldn't imagine remaining a wife for a moment longer. I think I'd already come to that conclusion. And obviously, looking back, it's like, well, clearly, because you were having affairs and all different things were happening. But, you know, at the time, you have your little story, don't you? But I think I'd come to the conclusion that the marriage needed to come to an end. But I was going to do that in a sensible, helpful, healthy way. We were going to wait until the youngest started school and I'd got a job and all these wonderfully sensible things were going to happen. And then my life got turned upside down and I just said, I I can't. So my little boy is there a week post-surgery, four and a half years old. I have just lost the love of my life and I've just ended my marriage. And I'm sat there with with a little coffee in the hospital cafe thinking, what now? My whole life just fell apart. So, yeah, it was, and anyone who's been through this kind of thing will know that it wasn't that day. That day was a horrible, horrible day. But before it got better, it it did get worse in terms of emotional intensity. Because I had never been by myself. I'd always been in a relationship since I was about 15. I'd always had somebody And I know now that almost all of those relationships were, I'm not sure exactly what the right term is, but, you know, I needed them more than I wanted them because I couldn't be by myself. And the thought of being by myself, being abandoned, having to handle my own shit (laughs) was absolutely terrifying. And then suddenly that's exactly what I was having to do. And I wasn't having to do it all by myself. I was having to do it whilst parenting two little boys. Uh, so as every parent knows, you can't just howl and wail and fall apart because you've got to do this parenting gig as well. And I knew that I had anxiety. I'd been and am on um, anxiety meds, been on them for a while. And I'd had a good deal of kind of counselling and therapy. So I knew myself well enough to know that I had mental health that needed nurturing. But... I don't think I'd ever been quite so deeply in it as I became. And I was having panic attacks, but they weren't the kind of panic attack people could see. So when we talk about panic attacks, people imagine kind of no breath and you're obviously struggling. I would have a lump in my throat and I wouldn't be able to eat. But I was functioning. I, w- I was fine. And this would go on. Right, who needs food? I mean, really. (laughs) You need food to regulate your emotions and feel okay. So obviously this was going so well. (laughs) 
and I'm a hangry person, that would not, no, that would be bad. And I've gone through phases of this in my life where I have severe anxiety and I can't eat. And I go through like almost three month phases and I am just, it just makes it so much worse because you get hungry and then you can't eat. And then you have anxiety because you can't eat and because you're hangry and it's, yeah, it's a vicious cycle. You just can't regulate in any way um and it you know and it's hard enough when you're struggling with something so I ended up um my my proper kind of not rock bottom because people have been through far worse but my rock bottom the lowest I got was I was drinking I don't know if you have the same thing in the states but I was drinking complan shakes which are the kind of thing you give to elderly people who can't really eat properly so it's like a kind of milkshake that you make and it's got all your calories in I was like having a couple of those a day to keep me going hardly eating anything panic attack going on just couldn't couldn't regulate at all and I ended up quite calmly actually calling my parents asking them to come and watch the boys packing a little bag and just taking myself to the local emergency room. And I just said, I, I, I don't know what to do. I cannot stop this panic attack. Now, <laughs> anyone who works in the ER will tell you, as sympathetic as, not all of them, but as sympathetic as they were, they don't really want to see people with that kind of problem. That's not, they, they, they said, well, what, what do you want to do? You don't want to stay here. A lovely nurse said to me, you don't want to stay here, honey. It's not, it's not nice. <laughs> it's not nice staying in the, in the mental health ward unless you really have to. But she very kindly directed me back to my doctor. And it was then that I discovered something quite marvellous called beta blockers, which are a lovely little medication that take the edge off a panic attack. And I was able to use them to get back to emotional regulation. Um, and then, you know, I started the journey towards being fine, which is a long journey, but I was able to start seeing the steps towards that rather than just careering down a path of feeling terrified of my life and really not knowing what I was going to do next. So were you working at that point or... I was about to say at this point, I didn't have a job because um, I'd given up work when my eldest was born. And I was thinking when the youngest goes to school, which was going to be that September, I will get a job. I'm going to need to do something. Um, But at that point, no, I wasn't working, which was great because I would have struggled to hold down a job, but also was awful because the days when the boys were with their dad. I was just by myself with my big feelings, which is not necessarily a helpful thing. Um, And at that point, I really didn't have the confidence. Um, I'd, I'd left work, as I say, to have my baby boy, to have my eldest Edward. But then I think, yeah, I'd gone back to the workplace very briefly when he was um, quite little and I'd really struggled. Again, mental health wise, I'd really struggled. And although in between those two times, I'd had a lot of good therapy and was in a very different place. In terms of being back in the workplace, I was like, I, I, I don't know if I can. I, I, you know, I have no idea whether that's something I can do. And then you're suddenly in this position where you're going to have to get the job. And also you've got all these other kind of things that are making life difficult. So yeah, it was um, definitely starting from, I likened it to being on a beach with like a storm happening and kind of storm tossed beach. And I was desperately just trying to build myself a little beach hut 
because I definitely didn't have a house that was like a ways away, you know, but I was like, can I just construct a little beach hut to keep me safe? And that was hard enough at that point. And, you know, now many years, you know, five and a half years on, I've got a solid mental house, but it's taken some building. It takes time. It takes a lot of time. And so, yeah, so it's been five and a half years or so. So kind of walk us through. So now there's been like kind of the rock bottom. How, what do you, what do you do to kind of help yourself get out of that? And then how does that at some point like that had to have turned to a place of wanting to be of service to other women? So walk us through that journey. Very much so. So what I had to learn which I think we all learn at some point in life. I was learning it at the age of 38, but you know, we, we, I think we all get there. I had to learn how to care for and love myself. And we talk about self-care and self-worth and loving ourselves as though it's some kind of, you know, lovely kind of aspirational thing. But for me, it was, I have to, because nobody else is going to now. So the alternative is I'm a state for the rest of my life because I need to show up for me. And all those things I thought I needed from other people, which are lovely to have from other people, you know, love and connection and care and all those things. But I could bring them to myself. And I had to learn that piece by piece. I had to learn how to literally hold myself and regulate my breathing and calm myself down and talk kindly to myself and wrap myself up in a blanket with a nice hot drink and all these loving and nurturing things. And I learned that, A, you can absolutely do it for yourself. And B, when you can do it for yourself, you can rely on you. You're always with you. (laughs) So suddenly you have the most reliable person loving you that you've ever had because it's you. And that was, you know, that was the work of some time. That wasn't an overnight um, thing that I realized but that's what I had to learn because I had to get up in the morning and get stuff done and parent the boys and do all these other things and I had to kind of talk myself through it like you're okay you can do this and I realized that I wasn't I wasn't in a place where I felt strong enough to go back to the workplace and be accountable to somebody else I just felt like that was too much for a lot of people being self-employed is terrifying for me it felt safer I was like, if, I, if I'm accountable to me, <laughs> I can handle that. So I thought about my existing skills, which were mainly secretarial, admin, organisation. And I started off as a virtual assistant, as freelance admin support. And I found my first client through a friend. And on the very first day, as I, I drove to this client's house, I was going to say virtual assistant, but she was actually local. So I was going to her house that day. And I pulled over in in front of a local grocery store and, and just cried because I was just so terrified. She was lovely, but I was so overwhelmed and terrified. And I always think back to that day when I do anything in my business now that's a little bit challenging or a bit pushing out of my comfort zone. It's like, remember when you went to the first day of, you know, a pretty simple gig and you cried, you know, you can do anything now. Um, you learn. Well, it's, but- it's all the like... I mean, I feel like this all the time and I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. It's, you know, there's always that like, what if I don't perform? What if they don't like me? What if I don't meet expectations, right? It doesn't matter how successful you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. That is always there, right? Sometimes it's a little bit, you know, you might not be sobbing in the parking lot, but sometimes it's always there. 
And I think it's kind of good sometimes that it's always there, but it, yeah, it, it tends to not leave us, right? It often drives us as long as it doesn't get to be too much, right? But that's where making sure you start your day, you know, being really centered, knowing your worth, really moving to a place of service makes a big difference. That's it. Because if you can, um, if you can care for yourself in that way, in that nurturing way, then the scary things are less scary or you know you've got your own back. And that's what you learn. Because like you say, it doesn't go anywhere. You're still, oh, this is a bit scary. This is a bit, you learn that you've done it before and you can keep doing it and you're going to be okay. And then what I learned through being a virtual assistant is that when you're working closely with business owners, you become a shoulder to cry on, you become a sounding board. Anyone who works closely with sole traders, you know, one woman bands, they'll know this. And so I guess I was coaching before I was coaching, but I discovered that I absolutely loved that side of it. Um, You know, partly advising, but also just listening and realizing how many other people were struggling with things like having faith in themselves and believing in themselves. And it really started to crystallize in me because I was on this journey that the missing piece was just having our own backs like just looking after ourselves and well, how kind are you being to yourself at the moment? How much are you meeting your needs? How are you looking after yourself? And of course, a lot of these, particularly women are like, well, don't meet my needs and meet everybody else's needs. It's like, well, it's no wonder you feel terrified and burned out and stressed. You know, you're not actually caring for yourself in any way. Um, and we I have saw- an epidemic of caring for everyone else before ourselves. Like it's an epidemic. Yes, I completely agree with you. It really is. It really is. And it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm so passionate about because and I think what what comes through to people is when you talk about their inner child, which at first people think maybe it's a bit woo woo. I, I love a bit of woo woo. But when you talk about the little person inside you. So it's not necessarily about showing up for Helen as I am now. But there's a little Helen inside who gets very scared and worried. And when you reference that person, people start to connect with it. It's like, okay, yeah, so I look after my kids. I need to look after my little me. Because whatever you do that is really impressive and out there and, you know, you achieve big things, you're taking that little person along with you. And if you don't look after them, they will have a tantrum. They will have a meltdown and then you're in trouble because you haven't been nurturing that little person. So uh, that took me to getting a coaching qualification so I could actually start doing that work more than the admin side. And I've now got a team, a brilliant team who do a lot of the admin work, but I am now um, a life coach. And yeah, like you say, just the, the privilege and the reward of helping other people to realize their worth and live in their passion and find the joy and find the adventure because those were all the things that I discovered and yes I you know I paid the price for discovering them but I pay it again because they are the essence of life and I don't want to see anybody moving through a kind of gray life you know not really meeting their needs not really getting what they want just kind of pleasing everybody else and then getting to the end and thinking where's my medal it's like there's no medal oh (laughs) well crap yeah exactly oh why did I do all that then well good question (laughs) let's go back and try and you know squeeze the joy out of life and just have an amazing time because 
life's short and as far as I know we only get the one so yeah so that's where I'm at now which I certainly would not have done anything like this if I hadn't been through what I'd been through because I wouldn't have learned the lessons and I wouldn't have felt you know drawn to help other people with what I with what I have learned that's the funny thing I think about hitting hitting rock bottom, whatever that looks like for each of us, is we would never have created this amazing life if we hadn't been there. But at the t- at the time, it sucks. And at the time, you can never see this majesty that's on the other side, this amazingness that's on the other side, and you and you just can't believe it, right? And so. That's one of my hopes with this podcast is we can show these stories and tell these stories of people who, when they've had that deep, you know, or they're in that deep, dark night of the soul, like just stick with it. It will get better. You will learn something. You will find a way to help other people. And I think one of the things that draws people to coaches like you and coaches like me is they can see in us that, you know, that, that resilience and that ability to say, oh yeah, I've been there too. Right. And we don't say that enough to each other. I've been there too. I know how you feel. Right. And really being able to understand, like, there's nothing worse than trying to lose weight with, you know, somebody who's 120 pounds and never struggled with their weight. Like (laughs) you don't want a weight loss coach who's never struggled with their weight. And it's the same thing. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really important because I try to be as authentic as possible on my social media. I tell my story because who wants a life coach who's never struggled with anything? Like, what are you possibly going to learn? <laughs> and, you know, I I do meet people where they are and I see them frightened and not believing that they can do things. And yeah, you're quite right. It's not that I wasn't dropped into this business thinking, oh yeah, I can, I can do all this. I was absolutely terrified as to how I was going to get through the next day without just, well, having a mental breakdown, I suppose. And then you learn that you can do things, little steps, small steps, and just noticing how well you're doing and time. I mean, it's such an awful cliche for people who are in deep grief when people say, well, give it time. But as frustrating as it is, it's also quite good because in some ways that's all you have to do. Like it will absolutely 100% improve with time. But whilst you're going through it, just, yeah, how can you be as kind to yourself as possible? Because nothing ever got better by yelling at ourselves and talking to ourselves like crap, which far too many people do. Like, please be nice to yourself. Life's hard enough without us being mean to ourselves as well. Yeah, I absolutely, absolutely could not agree more. And I love what you talked about, about sort of loving on your own inner child, right? I love, I use that in my life quite a bit of like, there's this scared little kid, right? Who wasn't taken care of. And, mm-hmm. and how do I, how can I help to support her? The other thing that I use a lot is like s- sitting down and there's meditations that can walk you yeah. through this, but sitting down with my older self, right? Myself, that's just about to die and saying, you know, what, what needs to be important for me right now, right? And and doing both of those and kind of looking at your life in that from those two perspectives uh, really changes and shifts me to 
what's really important? Where do I really want to focus my time right now? Yeah, that is that is so important because we have we have a relatively short amount of time, but actually there is a good chunk of that time is not really talked about. So as we're growing up, we're, you know, if we're going down the traditional route that society sort of says we have to, we're thinking, right, where's this mate that we're going to find and these children we're going to have and we've got this wedding in our heads and maybe this baby. And then we kind of, the next set of imagery is like, oh, growing old together and sitting together on the porch, holding hands. It's like, there's like a long time between those two things. What are you going to do with that chunk of time? Do you want to be with this person for that chunk of time? What do you want to get out of it? Because that's like your whole life. And yet it's the bit people can sleepwalk through, which I just, I find that tragic because there's so much out there. There's so much that can be got from life. Um, And we don't have to wait for somebody else to help us do that. You know, we can do that for ourselves. Um, And then when we do do things for ourselves and when we do have our own back and we love ourselves, we tend to find that the right people find us because they're drawn to that kind of energy. So then a lot of things that we've sort of been hankering for actually show up. But then it's a case of I can choose these people and these opportunities rather than, oh, thank God, let me cling to them. It's like, okay, I've got me. So what else is out there? What am I going to invite in? What am I going to say no to? Because I'm fine, which is a very different place from where I was when I was not fine and could easily have cast around for the next, you know, lifeboat, which I'm so glad I didn't. And I think Mm. that's why people say when you've been in a relationship and people say, well, you need some time on your own. Yes, no, there are too many variables to that, but you do need time to meet yourself. And I think if you can do that, if there's someone else involved or if there isn't, that's great. But at some point we have to meet ourselves in life and it can be challenging, but so rewarding. And the courage to be ourselves and 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 the courage to maybe not be accepted. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and of course, when I was running around kind of yes I'm having an affair and my husband knows about it and it's all fine I mean you can imagine you can imagine but I knew I was doing what was right for me I knew I was changing my life I saw something and I was like well if I don't go for this then I'm going to be stuck in this place and yeah and I think that did that really gave me the courage to understand that it's because it's me that has to live my life You know, nobody else was making those choices, was having those experiences. And also what happens is if I'd said to people, oh, do you think I should do this? Is this a good idea? They probably would have all said, no, terrible idea. Don't do it, Helen. Oh, my goodness. But because I was so confident and saying, this is what I'm doing, I realise the risks. I know it's all going to end in tears. It was never going to be kind of a long term marriage prospect. You know, I know what's happening here. But I'm doing it anyway. I'm making that choice to choose some excitement in life. People actually then were like, oh, okay." Because when people don't think they have to help you and fix you, they're like, "Okay, you you do you then. It's like, I will. (laughs) I will. I'm, I'm doing fine. And then, you know, then, of course, I had to, as I say, pay the price for that. But thank goodness I did as hard as it was, because otherwise, I don't think I'd have ever met me. I don't think I would ever have 
learned how to support me. And then life's always going to throw stuff at you. So other challenges would have been thrown my way. And I, I don't know if I would have weathered them. So I now feel like I wouldn't say I could handle anything, but I know what real fear feels like. I know what real anxiety and kind of loss and despair feel like. And I know how to get through them now. Like, yeah, I've, I've got, I know what the steps are. So I wouldn't be lost in the dark again, I don't think. Mm, yeah, I love that. So I ask everybody this, but, and I think you've probably covered it, but I want to ask it anyway, is if you were talking to someone who is in the middle of their dark night of the soul, what would you say? So I would say that, yes, it is big and scary and I see you and I hear you, but there are also some really simple basics that are boring as hell, but will help. Breathe deeply. (laughs) I know how hard it is, but it is the best way to signal to our body that actually we are safe. Breathe. Keep hydrated. Even if it's just little tiny bites of things, eat regularly. (laughs) And if you need support, you don't have to know what support you need. That's the thing. I think people are often like, well, who do I ask? What do I? If you need help, find someone who cares about you and they will help you to find what help you need. So don't wait until you think, oh, I know what I need before you reach out. Just reach out. Um, But it will get better. It always does. It just, it always does. And also, when you need to cry, cry. Tears are much better out, so much better out. Please don't hold that stuff in. You hold that stuff in, it becomes illness. Get it out. And I have done the research. I have tested this. I've done this experimentation for you all. And I can tell you that when you start crying and you think you will never stop, you cannot keep sobbing for more than about 40 minutes maximum. I've tried. You you stop. It comes to an end. You are not going to cry for three days solid. I don't care how miserable you are. (laughs) And then you will feel better. So let it out. (laughs) That's such good advice. That's such good (laughs) advice. Um, So if people want to find you and get some no BS life coaching, (laughs) (laughs) where can they find you? Tell us. So firstly, they can find my podcast, which is the No Bullshit Guide to a Happier Life. They should be able to find that on all good podcast platforms if they search for that or if they search for my name. And they can come to my website, which is clear-day.co.uk, and that will give them all the options. They can absolutely coach with me. They do not have to be in Manchester to coach with me. I do lots of coaching over Zoom. I have coached people who are abroad. So I would absolutely love to hear from them. Um, but yes, those are the best ways to come and find me. And I also have my Instagram, which is your clear day. Yes, not clear your day, your clear day. <laughs> it's one of those. We'll make sure it's in the show notes, right, Sherry? <laughs> we will. We will. <laughs> But yeah, that's where they can find me. (laughs) Perfect. Well, thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank you for sharing your story. More of us need to be sharing our stories as openly as this, because then we take the shame away from anybody who's had these dark nights of the soul, right? It's been amazing to me since I started this podcast, the number of people who have 
applied to tell their story, right? And I put it out in just one place. And I've had well over 50 people the last time I checked who are like, yes, I want to tell my story because the more we're willing to tell our stories, the more we're willing to be vulnerable, the more we make a safe place for other people to do that. So I appreciate you and applaud you. And thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you. If you are listening to this podcast and you enjoyed it, please leave us a review on all of the podcast. Well, I guess the only podcasting place that takes a review actually is Apple, uh, but you can uh, write a review there. You can leave a review on uh, on Spotify. You can also watch these interviews on YouTube where you can like and subscribe and leave us a little note and let us know what you thought. And we appreciate you so much. Helen, thank you again. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you for listening to Bosses with Baggage. We are honored that you chose to spend your precious time with us. I hope that you are feeling inspired to reframe your setbacks into your superpowers so that you can change not only your life, but the life of everyone around you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, and I sure hope you did, please subscribe, rate, and share on your favorite podcast listener. And if you have any ideas for a future guest or you need some help growing your business, I'd love to connect with you. You can find me directly on my website, which is sherrysutton.com, S-H-E-R-R-Y-S-U-T-T-O-N.com. We'll see you next time.